Hear the word of God from a selection of passages from Genesis chapters 12 through 17. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. Starting at the beginning of chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. Chapter 13. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan. The Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that, like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. Chapter 15. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, 
Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. Oh, that was a good, good morning. Thank you for that. Hope you're doing very well this morning. I have a quick question to ask. How's the reading plan going? Good? Hope you're able to continue. Hope you're able to press off. For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, since January, we've been on a two-year reading plan. So I hope it's going well. It's only been a month and a half almost, so I hope you're still in it. Hope you're still fighting, fighting, the, you know, fighting the fight, going after it really hard. If you're not, it's okay. You can still catch up. If you haven't started yet, you can start now. Not that hard to catch up. And I'm going to ask you periodically because it's a good way to keep you, you know, hold you accountable, keep you motivated to keep on going. Now, oh, good question. You can find it on the Realm 
the reading plan is on the realm. There's also uh, sheets of paper with the reading plan on it that you can find in the front and the back. And if not there now, they will be at the end of the service. They're there. Good deal. They're all around. Good question. I love questions. Now, I know sometimes it can be difficult to understand. The book of Genesis is not the easiest book. So we're here to help you with that. So you're always welcome to ask questions of your small group leaders. All your small group leaders are like, oh, no. It's okay. Ask them questions. So you're always welcome to ask your small group leaders questions. But you're also welcome to ask me and Pastor Danny, Pastor Eric. We love answering questions. Because when you're asking questions, it makes us see that you're actually in the word. See, I love that. It makes us really happy. It brings smiles to our faces. Because you see, for us, I believe that we can preach and teach the word till we're blue in the face. But it's, it's the actual reading of the word and the spirit of God that changes anything. So we want you desperately in the word. I always say this, guys, if I, if I come up here and I preach something that is wrong and contrary to scripture, that is absolutely on me. But if you believe me without checking against scripture, that's on you. So I'm throwing it all on you guys. You guys need to test everything I say yourself with the word of God. Don't just accept anything I say. Test it. Do you hear that? So don't just be like, ooh, Lauren said it. It's right. No, I'm often wrong. No, no, I shouldn't say that. But <laughs> always read the word for yourself. I want you in scripture because the spirit of God is moving through the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, we love answering questions as well because there are times when we have difficult issues and difficult questions and not everybody had time to go to seminary. Not everybody has time to read all the research and read all the, the books that are out there. So next week, after worship service, Pastor Danny is going to lead a Q&A time. So if you're interested, there's going to be a Q&A that you're welcome to come in with him with all your questions. Give him the hard stuff. Actually, he's going to save the hard stuff for Pastor Eric. So Eric can do the hard stuff. No, no, but bring your questions about dinosaurs and evolution and flood and Nephilim and all the ites in the Bible and whether or not God can make a stone so heavy he can't lift. Whatever questions you have, you're welcome to ask them. Work on that one, Eric. So I'm so excited to continue in our series in the Pentateuch. In the first few chapters of Genesis, we see, that we see this incredible work of creation by an all-powerful God. He created order out of chaos, and he's the source of all life. But not only is he creator, we see through his relationship with man that he's a personal God, and he created a personal universe. This personal relationship was broken through the fall, but God made a plan for redemption and re restoration of this relationship. He promised a seed. Now in Abraham's story, we see God's promise of redemption being more formalized in a covenant Abraham to, made to Abraham and his descendants. Check out this quote by Lawrence Richards. It says this, Abraham stands as the greatest figure to be found in the ancient world. Three world religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, revere him as the father of their faiths. But what makes Abraham important to the Bible student is not the reverence in which he is held. And it's not even the belief that the National Geographic once expressed that Abraham the patriarch conceived of a great and simple idea, the idea of a single almighty God. And you can actually find that in National Geographic, December 1966. Abraham's importance is not even found in the fact that he is today a prime model of saving faith. No, the importance of Abraham in Genesis is that through Abraham, God reveals his purpose and goal for the universe. It promises to Abram, God revealed that he had a plan. Today, my goal is I want you to see that God has a redemptive plan and that it's trustworthy. This plan is the central theme of all of scripture and it culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
And if you really want to know the Bible, you have to know this central theme, this central thread through all of Scripture, and it's God's redemptive plan. Before we dive into Abraham's story, let's take a look at who he is. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you probably noticed that Abraham's original name went from Abram to Abraham, which literally means father, from father to the father of many, or father of many nations. And we'll see how that, why that's the case here. Abraham was originally from a Babylonian town called Ur, but he grew up in a town called Haran. There wasn't anything particularly special about Abraham. He's a regular dude, just a normal guy. In fact, he has a track record of messing up over and over and over again. Even though Abraham is a pretty big deal. And it shows that our heroes of the faith, these heroes in the Bible, are all kind of messed up. And I don't know about you, sometimes that kind of disillusion, that can make you, make you a little disillusioned, but for me that makes me think, oh good, they're not perfect, because I know I'm nowhere near. We see that Abraham is a chronic liar. He lies a couple times in these chapters, particularly we didn't read this, but he actually lies a few times, he throws his wife under the bus to protect his own skin. I mean, that's pretty messed up. Yet with all his faults and failures, God establishes a covenant with Abraham, and he blesses him. Genesis 11, I'm going to start with 11.31, go to 12.4. It says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We see in these verses the promises God gave Abraham. Some of these apply to Abraham personally, to bless him and make his name great. But there are also broader promises that form the foundation of what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And there are three main promises in the Abrahamic covenant. Number one, God promises a place. Two, he promises a people. And three, he promises a purpose. Now, a lot of scholars speak of these promises using words that are more kind of faithful to the text, like promises land, promises seed, promises blessing. But I like to say place, people, and purpose because alliteration is fun, festive, and fantastic. <laughs> I was hoping for that reaction. God promises a place. As you study the Bible from the very beginning of Scripture, even in the Garden of Eden, the reason covenant land is so important is because God desires to dwell with his people on earth. So throughout redemptive history, God has given his people a place where his presence and glory will be revealed and enjoyed. In Genesis 12, verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there. Genesis 13 says, All the land which you see I'll give to you and your descendants forever. 13.17 says, Arise, walk about the land, about its length and breadth, and I'll give it to you. In 17 verse 8, it says, I'll give to you to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for everlasting possession. So over and over again, throughout God's dealing with Abraham, in this section we see him repeating the promise of blessing of this land. Now God's speaking of the land of Canaan, where Abraham currently is. That's what he's speaking of, this land of Canaan. And where Joshua, later on, this is, Joshua is the guy who followed up Moses later on in the Bible. He brings the people of God after they leave slavery from Egypt. And it says this in Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. 
Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All come, came to pass. Not a single word of God's promises has failed. God is faithful to keep his promises. His promises is true. They are trustworthy. Now, mind you, this was a partial fulfillment. They didn't take over all the land that God had promised them. The final fulfillment of this promise is the end time when Jesus ushers in a new creation when God's people will inherit the earth. Every square inch of this promised land and every square inch of the entire earth belongs to God. But one way, one way or another, as co-heirs with Jesus, all of God's people will eventually enjoy all of God's real estate. And what that means is the fulfillment of this promise is that one day his kingdom will go to the ends of the earth and a new earth will be created. And we alongside Jesus will be co-heirs. This descendant, this promise of Abraham is still ours to this day to be fulfilled by Jesus. So we see a partial fulfillment, land given, but now we see a proclamation. We are much like the Israelites going and proclaiming the land now. But it will be ultimately fulfilled when Jesus returns. Two, God promises to establish a covenant people. This is the seed that is mentioned here. God says in Genesis 12 too, I'll make you a great nation. In 12, 7, he, he mentions his offspring. 15, he says, Abraham is worried. He said, God, how is God going to accomplish this? And God says, look toward the heaven and number the stars. This is how many your offspring will be. The promise is repeated in Genesis 17, 6. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Now, if you're reading this, you should, if you, as you're hearing this, actually that word fruitful should jump out at you because we talked about it earlier with Adam and we talked about it earlier again with Noah. It should trigger in your mind this language of be fruitful and multiply language. All the way from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God's plans are still moving forward. Even after the fall, God said to Abraham, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and I'll make you into a nation and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations an everlasting covenant to be your God and to your offspring after you. God promises to multiply a covenant people through Abraham. But there's one huge problem, right? What's the problem? Anybody? Say that again? No kids. He's like, there's these promises being made and Sarai is kind of like old. And Genesis 11.30 says Sarai was barren. She had no child. And that's why as God clarifies the promise and tells Abraham and Sarah that they're going to go bring forth a child and name him Isaac, both of them initially laugh at God's promise. When Sarah laughs, she listens to how God responds in Genesis 18. She says, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And she says, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Then we read verse 4, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? This passage over and over again shows that circumstances can't stop God from fulfilling his promises. God keeps his promises as we read Isaac is eventually born and from there God continues to multiply his covenant people. And we see something else happening as we look through the rest of the Bible. We see godless leaders. We see people who make sinful mistake after mistake. We see the line and the seed that was promised to keep on coming up. A new king rises up and oh, maybe that king will be the righteous king. Maybe it's going to be King Saul, but he's not the seed that is promised. Then we see David, but he falls too. Then we see Solomon. Then we see the kingdoms come. And all these kings, who everybody, all man puts their hope in, maybe that's the promised seed. Maybe that'll bring salvation. Maybe that'll bring redemption. But they always fail over and over again but God's people still continues to multiply and when we step into the New Testament we see Matthew beginning his gospel account with a genealogy that begins with Abraham 
And guess who it ends up with? With Jesus, the promised seed, the promised descendant, the Messiah who would come from Abraham through the line of David to save the people. You see, this redemptive plan was always in place, will always come true, and God's plans are trustworthy. His promises are real and true. God's plan was never just for Abraham or just for Abraham's extended family Israel, though. Through them, God promised to accomplish a covenant purpose. And God's covenant purpose is number three. We see this in Genesis 12.3, where God promised Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The purpose is to be a blessing to the nations. God's plan for his originally covenant people Israel is never supposed to stop with them. They were never designed to be a cul-de-sac of God's blessing where they kind of like chill out of their own cul-de-sac and just keep it to themselves and enjoy it for themselves. They were supposed to be a highway where God will deliver his blessing through them to all the families of the earth, people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Don't forget this. It's so fundamental to God's character. It's so critical to understanding God's goal. God's goal from the beginning has been to bless and extend his blessing to all those who believe in him by faith. Not just one tribe, but all people, all nations, all tongues. So God says to Abraham in Genesis 17, 4, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Throughout the Old Testament, we get glimpses of God's inter inter international multi-ethnic plan moving forward, bringing blessing to every tribe, tongue, and nation. We see Rahab a pagan Canaanite woman whom we'll read about later as we look into later in the, in the Pentateuch, finding refuge among God's people and eventually being included in the lineage of the Messiah. We see how God commands Israel through his law and prophets to make provision for visiting foreigners to be a place and a community of blessing to them. We see God sending a very reluctant Jonah to go and proclaim his mercies to pagan Ninevites. God gives us glimpses of his plans to reach beyond the Jewish borders and bring blessing to all peoples. Then Jesus, the promised Messiah, shows up and he gathers and trains 12 disciples. Why 12? Anybody, why 12? 12 tribes of Israel. Because he has come to accomplish through his new covenant community what the 12 tribes of Israel should have done but could not. So in Matthew 28, Jesus commissions his disciples with a great commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to reserve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love how one writer put this. I don't remember who it was. I just remember reading it somewhere. He says, when Paul read that Abraham would be the father of many nations, he heard the great commission. And the story doesn't end there. If you look in Acts 2, after his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to indwell all believers. And what happened? When the disciples received the Holy Spirit, they became proclaiming the gospel in foreign languages. And all these different peoples from different racial groups, different ethnic groups, different nations, all heard it in their own language, in their own native tongue. And what was the implication of this? Why would God do this? Was this an early commercial for the Rosetta Stone? What exactly is happening here? God does this to confirm that the fact that through Jesus, his eternal covenant blessings are available to people from every nation, tribe, and language. Then this is the reversal of what happened in Babel, as Pastor Danny taught on and preached last week. Then throughout the book of Acts, from one ethnic group after another, people hear the gospel. They trust Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul in Galatians 3, 7 through 9 says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The blessings of Abraham covenant is that by God's grace, people from all nations will be adopted into God's covenant family through faith in Jesus. That's the mission God's been up to since the beginning. That's the mission you and I are now caught up in. This is why the mission of our church at Wary Point Church is to make disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we see the fulfillment of this covenant promise. Verse 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you see? I want you to see, I want to show you from God's word that his promises are true. That all his promises are true. For every one of these promises we proclaim, they're all true. And he's working throughout all of scripture and in our life now. And he's fulfilling these promises. He promised a place, a people, and a purpose. Now we see all these amazing promises of God in place, people, and purpose being fulfilled on God on this side. Of, and we can see them all on this side of Abraham's life. But can you imagine what it was like for Abraham to hear these promises and to be told to act upon them? Right, could you imagine for a second, you're Abraham. And God said, hey Abraham. I'm going to send you out. And Abraham goes, where? I'll tell you later, just go. Then he says, I'll give you a land. Abraham says, sweet, where? God says, I'll tell you later, just wander. Then he says, I'll give you a child. Abraham's like, how? And God says, I'll tell you later, just wait. In every situation, every situation, Abraham passed that threshold and he triumphed. A very normal guy, a very ordinary person with lots of weaknesses, at those critical times, he faced these unbelievable circumstances, and he had faith. He triumphed. He led a huge life. He, he, he mastered these difficult times by faith. How? I'm going to read a, another passage of scripture that Sarah already read. But I'm going to read it again. This is Genesis chapter 15, verses 7 to 21. But I want you to read this weird passage for most of you guys. And it's one of my favorite passages. And I actually got to preach on this passage during a wedding ceremony. And it was my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> I actually asked the bride. I said, listen, I've always wanted to preach this during a wedding ceremony. Please, can I do it during yours? And she said, yes. So it was awesome. He's laughing because it was at his wedding. <laughs> so... Genesis chapter 15, 7 through 21 says this, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur and the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought to him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half again over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, 
saying to the offspring I give this land, for the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Emorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. And when you hear this, you might be thinking, this is why I don't do the reading plan. And you're thinking, this is, I'm lost. You lost me at the word heifer. You lost me at splitting animals in half. I am so confused. What's going on here? Here's what's happening, okay? God is ratifying his covenant he's making with Abraham. A covenant is a formal agreement between two parties. So just like we have ceremonies that ratify certain covenants, like a marriage ceremony, for example, in Abraham's time, there was a standard ceremony for two people ratifying a covenant. They would take severed animals, cut them in half, place the halves across from each other with an aisle in between. Then both parties would walk down the aisle in between these dead animals. Jeremiah 34 gives the idea of this. It says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. And I'll give them to the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Do you realize what he's saying? In those days, the way you took an oath was not by signing a contract, which is kind of wimpy, right? Compared to this, that's a wimpy way to sign a contract. This is much better. But what does it mean? You would take an animal, you would slay it, you would cut it in half, and you would walk between the animals. And what you're essentially saying is, if I do not do everything that I agree to, if I don't do everything I'm promising now, may I be cut off, may I be cut in half, may I be destroyed, and may my flesh lay on the ground so that the birds of the air can eat it. And the implication is that if either of the parties broke the covenant, this is what's going to happen to them. May, the penalty, may, may this be the penalty for the covenant breaking. But something crazy and different happened during this ceremony. Verse 17 says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared. This pot, this torch, we don't know exactly how to translate it, but it's what we do know is that these same exact words were used to describe the top of Mount Sinai when God came down on it years later. And the same words are also used to describe the pillar of God's presence, the fiery cloud. His kind of raw Shekinah glory sometimes looked like smoke. And it was called the pl cloudy pillar. Sometimes it looked like fire. But whatever it was, it was severe. It was the presence of God. It was pain to even look at. One minister puts it this way. He said, in the midst of darkness, a searing streak of lightning appeared and held its shape. It spewed fire and smoke and sparks. It was the presence of God. But it wasn't just the presence of God that astonished Abram, but it's what it did. It passed between the pieces. It went down the aisle made by the pieces. And here's the reason this was so strange and this is so incredible. This is the gospel. This is the whole gospel. There's no place in the New Testament that gets it quite as thoroughly as this. I want you to see this. Here's what's going on. Tim Keller says that there are always two problems with trusting God, with living confidently. He says there's two problems when you, how, how we can trust God to live confidently. There are always two problems with living a confident life in God. The first problem is, Lord, how can I know about you? How can I trust you? How can I know about you? And the second problem is, how can I know about me? Right? That's what Tim Keller says. There's two problems, two questions. And when Abram says, Lord, how can I know all these great things are going to happen? How can I trust your promise? How can I know about you? How can I know you'll come through? It's absolutely astonishing. Is, do you see what he's saying? Is that he's saying to Abram, and he's saying to you, I promise to bless you, Abram. I promise to be your God and bring salvation to the world. I promise to bless you. And if I don't do what I say, 
I'm, my immortality will suffer mortality. My infinity will suffer limitation. My power will be powerless. I will, the impossible will become possible. I will be cut off, I'll be destroyed, let my body be ripped apart. You can know about me because I will let this happen if I don't keep my word. That's what was symbolized by this walking through. And God is saying this, if you think it's amazing, that's not all. Because then Abram looks at God at this point and says, wow, that's okay, God, you're willing to walk through. You're willing to do your part of the covenant. That's incredible. You made the promise, so I know now you're trustworthy. Because if you don't do this, then woo, this is what's going to happen to you. Wow, you're trustworthy. But then something else incredible, it doesn't answer the second problem. There's a promise of, of, of how, how do I trust me? How do I trust me? How many times, I don't know if I can trust myself because this is a covenant. There's, there's pieces to keep in it. I have to choose to follow you. I have to, I have to do what you say. And honestly, if I know myself, myself is pretty bad. You know, I love that song, um, Come Thou Found, where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Because this idea, the author of that song, the writer of that song knows that his heart is prone to wander. So here's Abram. Here's my first problem. My first problem is how do I trust you, God? Okay, I can trust you because you promised that this is what's going to happen to you. Now, how do I trust me? Because I don't know if I can. Because I'm prone to wander. I lied to protect myself. I threw my wife under the bus. I don't, I don't know if I can trust me. And then something else happens, because when Abram was supposed to then walk next, after God walked through the aisle, after God walked through, Abram then was supposed to walk next. But God walks through the pieces alone. He didn't say, Abram, now you do it. He left it there. And we know this from history and archaeology, that whenever a king would enter into a covenant relationship with a vassal, a lesser king or a conquered king, a conquered servant, a servant would go through the pieces after, and both would say, if I don't do my part, may I be eaten by the birds of the air. But God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to go through for both of us. This is the gospel. Salvation in the Christian faith is not a cooperative effort. It's not, it's not God help those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. It's not a partnership. God comes through and says, I will take upon myself the curse of the covenant for both of us. Abram, may I be cut off if I don't do my part of the bargain, but Abram, may I be cut off if you don't do your part of the bargain. Abram, I'll bless you even if it means that you mess up, even if it means that I have to die. Don't you see that? Abram is supposed to walk through the aisle. That's what he does. He, that's what the lesser is supposed to do. That's what the promise keeper, it's a two-part covenant. But, God, but Abram's thinking, my problem is, God, I can't walk through this aisle because I don't know if I have the power. I don't know if I can keep it. So God, I don't know if I can trust you, but yes, I can trust you because you walk through, but I can't trust myself. What do I do? That's my problem. And God says, don't walk through. I walk through for you. And so you don't have to worry, it's not on yourself, it's not on you to keep the promises, I'll keep it. Centuries later, darkness came down again. You can read about it in Mark chapter 15 where it says, at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 53, 8 says something Abram didn't know. Abram had no idea what was going to cost God to make the promise he did. Isaiah says this about the Messiah, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. His immortality did become mortality. The impossible became possible. God died. God was cut off. God was trampled into dust. 
darkness came down upon him. Jesus fulfilled the pieces of the broken covenant. So that the original promises of place, people, and purpose is arched through the work of Jesus. He is faithful to complete his promises. His faithful, his plans are trustworthy. It's not dependent upon you, so no longer do you have to worry in your relationship and your status before God. God, okay, you're trustworthy. I see the promise you made, but I don't know if I am. And he says, you don't have to be because I've done it for you. Just believe in me. That's the gospel news. That's the good news. Do you hear this? That's the good news that Jesus is one who fulfills the covenant in our place. And so you no longer have to wonder, no longer have to worry, am I trustworthy enough? Because Jesus is trustworthy enough. You no longer have to question, you no longer have to doubt, I can't be perfect enough. I try and I try and I try. Guys, can I tell you, so much of my life I live like that. So much of my life, I tried, I, I always, this is something even in my sin nature, when me and my wife get into situations, my statement first was, but I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard to be a good husband or a good dad or be a good man and to be a good follower. And I'm like, I'm trying so hard. And guys, can I tell you that there's rest in Jesus? Because here we are, we try so hard. We try so hard, but it's not about how hard you try because we'll never be enough, but it's about how much he loved us that he himself went through the broken split pieces. He fulfills the covenant. And that's what I love using this passage in a marriage. Because in a marriage situation, I truly believe that it is impossible of my own ability, in my own skill, to love my wife well. It is impossible to, for me to keep covenant well, but because my God walked through the covenant, he's given the power to fulfill the covenant. That's why I love talking about this in marriage, right? And this is for you today. If you're here today and you've been trying your whole life, trying to be good, trying to please God, trying off your own effort. God, if I just did this better, if I read the Bible more, if I went to church more, if I was more successful, if I could please my father, if I could please my God. And can you know that God is a God of rest? He gives you rest from that because he himself does the work. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps all. And we all need it. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that your redemptive plan was revealed from the very beginning. God, that you had it in mind, that you promised to seed, and then we see in Abraham a, a, a fuller expression of that redemptive plan, but it's still the same plan. God, that you knew there was brokenness and separation, and you yourself fulfill the covenant of bringing that relationship back together. God, that was your plan. And you walked through. You took upon yourself the punishment that should have been ours. You took upon yourself the fulfillment of the covenant. Because you knew we couldn't. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel. God, that we're far worse than we think we are, but your love is far greater than we could ever imagine. God, thank you for the work of Jesus. And and may we now, as ones who have this purpose you've called us to, may we continue to be the blessings, a blessing to the nations as we share this good news. 
We worship you. We delight in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.